Attention Patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. I am so excited to have you with us here today, or I guess with me here today. JC has the day off, and we are in New Hampshire one more day of teaching in New Hampshire, and then we're back home to Florida. But remember, we have some dates coming up, some uh, training coming up in New Mexico and in, yes, you're about to hear it, Southern California. We're very excited to be able to bring the Liberty First message to Southern California. We've been there before, but we don't get to go there as often as we do other places. So remember, go to chrisannhall.com and check out the calendar and see where we're going to be. And if you're able to come, we would love to see you. If you're not able to come, make sure you tell your friends and family members where we're teaching. We really, really rely on you by word of mouth to tell people where we're going to be and and give them your testimonial of, of the teaching that you hear and, and how much you appreciate the constitutional and principled and historical perspective uh, by which we teach. And again, in New Mexico, JC is going to be teaching his classes as well. He has a morality of resistance class and his more than victims class that he's going to be teaching. So we're both going to be uh, teaching in New Mexico. So we hope that you will join us there. I wanted to start off today's show since it is Monday. I wanted to start off today's show with a, a little bit of levity. There's, I found an old article, an old satire from The New Yorker, written by Andy Barowitz back in 2015. And I thought that this article brought up some very good points, and it made me chuckle, so I thought that I would share it with you this morning. The Article's title is Americans Favor $15 an Hour for Congress. And, you know, I, I actually stumbled upon this article because somebody had put this article up as as a, a factual piece of journalism, but I just want to make sure that you understand that this, this is satire from uh, the Borowitz Report. But you know that the best satire always contains... A, a, a really good kernel of truth that makes you, and, and that's the whole purpose of satire is to make you think. Mercy Otis Warren, remember the fa- first American woman playwright, she wrote 
Shakespearean style plays in the form of satire to poke fun at the British government and to encourage the liberty movement. So I'm a big fan of satire from that perspective. And he starts off the article by saying, in major cities across the nation, fast food workers and other service employees held signs, shouted chants, and gave impassioned speeches to demonstrate their conviction that Congress deserves a maximum hourly wage of $15. I Well, you know, back then there was this, I guess we've seen this since 2015, but in 2015 there was a really huge push to raise the minimum wage for workers to be uh, $15 an hour. And so this is his, his form of taking, you know, the current events and, and, and putting a little twist and, and fun in it. He says, assuming that they continue to take off approximately 240 days a year, members of Congress earning the proposed maximum would see their average annual income adjusted from $174 to uh, $174,000 to $13,500, a salary that many marchers call, quote, fair and equitable. I think what's really amazing is the sort of realization that Congress takes off 240 days a year. I think that we get this impression that Congress is constantly in session. We get this impression that they're constantly working and constantly doing something. And we never take into account how long their recesses actually are. In the foundation of our constitutional republic, the founders never envisioned for our Congress to constantly be in session. As a matter of fact, there, you know, Benjamin Franklin didn't want them to earn anything at all. The, the argument was, well, in, if that's the case, then the farmer and the grocer would never be able to be a representative. That representation would be limited to those who are wealthy and can, can afford to not work several weeks a year. I want you to understand that Congress was supposed to always return to their homes in their districts where they were elected for the majority of the time that they were uh, or throughout the year. See, Congress should not can Congress members of Congress should not have homes in Washington D.C. They should have homes in their district and temporary housing. See, I think the way Congress should work should be like a, a dorm, right, in, on a college campus. Washington, D.C. should have dorm rooms for congressmen. And if you want, they could have dorm rooms that are large enough for congressmen and their wives and their husbands and, and their families, but they shouldn't be separate homes. Can you imagine how easy security would be 
if Congress lived in dorm rooms. They wouldn't have private housing. We wouldn't have housing allowances. We would have barracks for members of Congress and members of the Senate. Maybe then life wouldn't be so comfortable for them that they never want to leave. Because the entire purpose of having Congress not in session all the time was so that they would go home and become acquainted and reacquainted with their district. And the article, the satire article says, uh, Harland Dorenson, a protester in Chicago, said, I know what members of Congress will say. I can't live on that. He says, well, if they want to earn more, they should go out and acquire some skills. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I love satire. It's great. But in reality, we should take this as an understanding of maybe some things that we should think about, things that are going wrong. Congress should not be in Washington, D.C. for the length of time that they are. And I know that technically they make $174,000 a year. But have you seen the cost of living in Washington, D.C.? I remember watching uh, one of the, the This Old House or one of these do-it-yourself uh, shows where they took this old row house and they completely gutted it and revamped it in an, in an effort to rebuild, to build up a dilapidated neighborhood. And it was all donated material and they were going to sell the house below the market value to help a new family get in. And this row house, you know, row houses, they're like packed right next to each other. Boom, 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 boom. There's, there's really no yard. There's no privacy. You, you, you have your house. Your front door is right here. The next door neighbor's front door is right there. And it's a whole street like that. Well, they said, we're, we're selling this way below market value for $700,000. No, I, I did not make a mistake. $700,000. A two-bedroom row house in, D, in, in D.C. And that was way below market value. I don't know if you've ever visited Washington, D.C. and tried to, to buy the things that you would need to live on, food and, and, and amenities and furniture, that sort of thing. It is reflective of this housing, uh, the price of housing that I'm seeing. It's, it's a huge cost of living there. So I want to know, how does someone who makes $174,000 a year in a place where the cost of living is so high, have go in, average Joe, come out, multi-millionaire, some of them billionaires, with multiple mansions across America, including Washington, D.C., 
See, I love the way satire makes us think, or it's supposed to make us think. And I don't think we talk about this enough. Congress should, Congre members of Congress should not be spending so much time in Washington, D.C. They should not. And I, uh, Ocasio-Cortez is, oh, we need a bigger housing allowance. I can't afford to live here. You're not supposed to live here, chickadee. You're supposed to live in Queens, where the people elected you. You were not promoted to the king's palace. And you are not to live as a queen but we've somehow established the standard now for so very long this is the standard of living that we've created for congress and i regret that it's our fault liberty's lobbyist chris ann hall has now taken control Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Hey, I um, if you're watching us on YouTube, I've put up the schedule for the rest of June and July. Uh, today, Monday, June 17th, we will be in Rochester, New Hampshire with uh, the Rochester, New Hampshire 912 project and restore the intent of New Hampshire group and it will be at the Salmon Falls Church of Christ starting at 6:30 tonight. So if you're in the area, we hope that you'd come and join us and then in July uh we'll be in Santa Fe, New Mexico on Monday, July 8th and Tuesday, July 9th. And then we will be in Albuquerque and Santa Fe on Wednesday, July 10th. And then Albuquerque on Wednesday, July 11th. And then we start our Southern California. And I, I'm not sure. I, my geography is terrible. We'll be, I think we're going to be in Southern California and Sacramento starting July 13th. Remember, you can catch that at chrisannhall.com. And I hope that you enjoyed our little satire. I want to, I want to finish up with the, the, the line in the satire article. He says, while organizers of the marches, uh, of the marches proclaim today protests, uh, wow, Chris Ann, while organizers of the marches proclaim today's protest a success, in some cities the demonstrations met with opposition from counter-protesters who argued that $15 was way too much. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Franklin was right? Do you think Franklin was uh, was correct in saying that members of Congress shouldn't make anything at all? I just, I don't think that what they make is the problem. I think how they operate is the problem. They are unaccountable. They are unchecked. They are admittedly above the law. And they are ungoverned. 
and they've been that way for so long, I fear that at this point, they're ungovernable. There's uh, people always talking about congressmen should be fired. We need to fire them. We need to send them all home. Well, we have the opportunity to do that every two years. And it's about time we start taking this a little bit more seriously. This complete corruption and lawlessness of our members of Congress. I came across a tweet this week, and it is not satire. If you're watching us on YouTube, you see the tweet. It is from James Comey. And James Comey, this is James Comey's official Twitter site, because it's got the little blue check marker showing us that this is actually James Comey. So this is not a James Comey satire Twitter page. James Comey says, Political candidates and elected officials should not talk about the future prosecution of any individual. Law enforcement decisions must be apolitical. Wow. I totally wish that I had some big-time studio with a sound producer and a button that he could push that erupted in hysterical laughter. Law enforcement decisions must be apolitical. I have to wonder, is this proof that James Comey is clinically diagnosable as a psychopath? He is completely oblivious to his own criminal behavior and he is completely without remorse for his actions. Law enforcement decisions must be apolitical. How can even, I, I, I don't even know if that's James Comey actually typing that, but I don't know, is there some guy in the James Comey Twitter verse, right? It's his job to tweet for James, Com James Comey. And, and he's tweeting this and he's going, can you believe I'm tweeting this under James Comey's handle? I, I, how do you, how does, how does that even happen? Unless you're beyond morality. As arrogant men tear up our constitution and from every direction we cry can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Hey, watching us on YouTube, you see our Chris Ann Hall's Liberty First gear. Don't just pontificate, educate. Do you have your Liberty First gear? help bring the message of liberty first historical truth and the con the power of the people to control their government bring it to the public forum every day wearing your liberty first gear your can you imagine in your office having a coffee mug on your desk and in the lunchroom 
with a picture of Thomas Jefferson proclaiming fake news. I mean, you seriously, they, they can't say it's unpresidential to claim that, that president's talking about fake news. You've got a picture of Thomas Jefferson right there when he was president and the quote right there. You can't have it be a matter of Trumpism, right? They can't claim you're a Trump sycophant for criticizing the media when you got a picture of, of Thomas Jefferson right there. Just want to help you. Just want to help you. Help you spread the liberty first message. Break the ice. Say things that you want to say without saying them at all. I wanted to talk about this story today. This is something that came in. A Christian school hit with a SWAT-style raid. And then, this is California, demands that they allow sexual or exploration or be shut down. So, this Christian school was raided by 16 armed law enforcement officers from the California Highway Patrol, two canine units, and 17 social workers. Students and staff were horrified by the sudden and unexpected attack. Now here's how this happened. They were actually swatted. The state was misled into thinking that the school was harboring illegal drugs amassing ammunition, and preparing for doomsday. This Christian school was swatted. And the article is not about who swatted them. You know, JC and I, we're always about accountability here. We need names. We need to know what this is about. Who, conduct, who called out this raid? Who's responsible for this? Who's in charge of the 16 armed law enforcement officers? Who's in charge of the two canine units? Who's in charge of the 17 social workers that raided this ministry on false pretenses? See, that's why this, this is, I, I gave a speech on red flag laws on Saturday in, uh, in Massachusetts. And we talk about these red flag laws as if they're, they're just simply a violation on our rights to keep and bear arms. And we miss the much bigger picture. I'm actually going to be uh, publishing that speech. It was recorded. I got to do some things to, to try to clean up the audio because it's an outdoor presentation. And um, as soon as I get all that stuff fixed up for you, I'm going to be publishing that on uh, the Chris Ann Hall website and on social media so you can see this because I lay it out point by point by point. And these red flag laws are more than attack on your right to keep and bear arms. They are an attack on your right to be secure in your property. They are an attack on your right to due process. They are an establishment of it guilty until proven innocent. They are the imposition of an unreasonable fine 
and a cruel and unusual punishment. I think for me, the whole, the, the, the greatest attack is due process because it is so encompassing. And this is an example. You can have an anonymous, an anonymous call where no one is ever held accountable. And now this school is terrorized. There's no opportunity for them to bring civil lawsuit against somebody who lied. This is libel. This swatting thing is is libel of the worst sort, slander of the worst sort. This is actual criminal activity held unaccountable because the law says it's okay. We somehow have to protect a criminal from accountability. I, I just, I'm reminded of what Patrick Henry said. Is, is peace so sweet that we would, is, is life so dear and peace so sweet that we would will, be willing to purchase them at the price of chains and slavery? These red flag laws, what has happened to this Christian school is, is the very reason Patrick Henry said that statement. Do we love life do, 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 we, do we put life so high that we're willing to sacrifice liberty? He's saying, look, if you, if you don't have liberty, that life you're trying to protect becomes your prison. If you don't have liberty, that peace you're trying to create through force of government, will become your prison. So how does this end up? Well, it was all a mistake. So obviously, the state of California is like, our bad, you know, we got bad advice, so we're sorry that we raided you. We didn't, you know, it, it, the law says that we can do this, but, you know, we were wrong, so, you know, no harm, no foul, right? What? Here's the thing. The ministry works in a teen rescue forum, and it offers programs for struggling teenagers in need of full-time supervision and redirection. And they've been in operation since 1989. The students are taught to focus on their education, change destructive behavior, and strive for success. And even though the raids did not cover any, you know, apocalyptic end times type of scenario, California has not stopped and is now fining the school daily with claims of improper licensing. California is now saying that due to recent legislation, 
It is no longer possible for a private boarding school to operate without a considerable amount of licensing and oversight by the Department of Social Services. And what are the terms of the licensing? The Christian school has to abandon their biblical values. They have to allow their students to engage in spiritual and sexual exploration regardless of their religious beliefs and the moral principles of many of the parents who have their children there. Now the Pacific Justice Institute is trying to help them. But Kevin Snyder of the Pacific Justice Institute said, in 25 years of practice, I have never seen this level of aggressive, militant, and ideologically driven conduct by a state agency against a religious institution. It's the same thing that they said when Obama tried to enforce Obamacare on the private Christian hospitals. I should say try because the federal government actually did enforce those things. And the argument was, if the churches want to be in the business of hospitals, which the government, the federal government now claims is historically a governmental institution, so if the churches want to be in the business of government activity, hospitals, then they must comply with government standards. I wonder how many people in America actually believe that historically hospitals are a government business because that is just simply more revisionism. If you look at history, hospitals did not begin as a government institution. Hospitals began as a religious institution of mercy. So in reality, what we have is the government inserting itself into something that has been historically a religious institution and then claiming it as their own. And once again, here we have here, the government saying, if the Christians want to engage in education, which is historically a government institution, they must comply with government rules. Sorry, you got your history all wrong there. Education did not begin as a government institution. Education began, especially on the post-secondary level, as a religious institution. And now government is intruding on private education. Education being historically a private matter, not historically a public matter. Oh, but I'm only a stranger here. I'm a long, long way from my home.
Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal, our last segment. Our last segment, I, I wanted to uh, address something that seems very important to me that unfortunately we're missing and I don't, I don't know what's going on. You've got, you've got uh, Justin Amash turning against the Fourth Amendment. You've got Mike Lee turning against the Constitution through advocating violations of separation of powers. If you don't know those things to be true, then you've got to go back to previous episodes of the Daily Journal where we covered this in detail. And now we have a tweet by Candace Owens. This is the official Candace Owens Twitter handle, and I'm fairly certain Candace actually does her own tweeting. And it says, if I were president, the punishment for burning the U.S. flag would be the renunciation of citizenship. No jail time, no fine. Simply one year to liquidate your assets and get the H out of our country. See, I, I, I think that Candace needs to rethink that principle. Are we forgetting this line in the Pledge of Allegiance, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. The flag is not America. It is a symbol for the constitutional republic in which we live. And within that constitutional republic, we have this thing called a Bill of Rights. And within this thing called a Bill of Rights, we have freedom of speech, freedom of press, the right to peaceably assemble. We have this crazy thing called due process and a prohibition against excessive fines and cruel and unusual punishment. And the force of government forcing someone, the President of the United States, forcing someone to liquidate their assets and be exiled from America is the exact opposite of the Constitutional Republic for which we stand. So what do you have left? If by law we act contrary to the Constitution for which it stands, what is left in that flag but a piece of cloth with colors on it? Somebody said to me, Chrisanne, you're taking this all out of context. She's speaking in hyperbole. Well, a hyperbole is something that you're, you know, you're not supposed to take seriously, not supposed to take literally. It's just a joke. This sounds like a well-laid-out plan. This sounds like a something that took thought. No jail time, she says. No fines. But you get one year to liquidate your assets 
and then you are forced to leave the country. That's not just something somebody says in the heat of passion. And I really, really appreciate the work that Candace Owens does. She is, she is very articulate and I admire the quickness on her feet and the way that she deals with this political dynamic. But I want us to understand that what we're doing here is not fighting for Democrats and Republicans. We're fighting for liberty. And that's what the flag stands for. And if we advocate for the destruction of liberty, then what is left? Candace, please fight for liberty. You have a great voice in this movement. Let's not get wrapped up in the politics of it all and lose sight of what we're actually fighting for. Let's make sure that we love each other in correction and we stay unified in the name of liberty. God bless you guys. See you next time.